back from my long trip. And uh, thankful for God's love and His grace, His mercy. And for all the people that I could see again, I've made a lot of friends in Tennessee. And I got to meet more people. It's good to be with God's people. People who love the Lord, who desire uh, a godly life, whose desires are to please the Lord in all things. That should be our motives and our desires at all times to guide us in whatever we're occupied with during the week, weekends, whenever. Um, I, I thought about sharing First um, John chapter 2, but I kind of feel like if I if I can give kind of an introduction to uh, being able to appreciate First John chapter 2, um, when, uh, when Jesus spoke, we read in Matthew chapter 5, When he, this was the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, <clears throat> Jesus, after he was set, and his disciples came to him, he started out with saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that is, that kind of explains what has to be going on in my heart to appreciate what God has to offer me. What is going on in a man's heart that he can be said to be poor in spirit? What is he striving for? What is a person longing for? What is going on that what Jesus called blessed is the are the poor in spirit. Is that for everybody? Does everybody experience that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I was listening to a preacher like three or four times this past week on YouTube from out west, and boy, he had he had it going <laughs> on the street. He had a lot of opposition, and I'm not I'm not called to judge this man's methods or his ways of preaching or anything. That's his business. <laughs> But uh, personally, I believe if we go out to meet the public, to preach, I believe that we must have something 
that draws the hungry and thirsty to us. There has to be something with the person we're preaching to and the person preaching that makes connection. If that isn't there, you're just <laughs> steaming off and saying things just as an obligation to be a preacher. You know, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But <clears throat> it's so wonderful to go out and meet somebody who has a longing in their heart for help. Something has been going on where one has become dissatisfied with the way things are. To be able to appreciate the help God wants to give us. And that also goes, well, it further, further, all that Jesus spoke here, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. What brings mourning into a person's life? Um, I have to think of a man that back in the early 1900s, his testimony was he wept his pillow wet many nights over his defeats, wanting to live for God, wanting to live a victorious life, but felt totally depleted and defeated and, and incapable of doing that. And then when someone like that hears a message that gives him hope, that is awesome. It's not just a matter of, well, if I don't, if I don't live a righteous life, I'm going to hell. And then out of fear, I try to line up, you know, and do what I'm supposed to do. But there has to be something more going on in my heart. And that is, I want a good life. I want a godly life. I want a, 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 my, my nature is selfish. My lusts are there. They, they just trip me up. I'm not managing, and I want help. That is the connection I like to make with people, such people like that. The one where it says here, blessed are they which hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then Jesus spoke, Matthew 11, come unto me, 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What about the rest of the people? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Uh, that narrows down the, how big the crowd will be, right? It's not all people that are laboring and heavy laden and desiring to have a better, have a different way of handling things. Maybe it could be I have a, I have a struggle with my neighbor. Something happened, and I feel anger in my heart. I feel. I need to forgive my neighbor, but I have no grace to do it. I just let it fester. I have no power. I'm powerless to live a godly life. Or maybe 
between my wife and I, between me and my children, whatever relationship. But I have no I have no power. And I long for a victory over those things. I want to have it good. I want to have a happy life. But my nature just messes everything up. And then the words come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, has meaning. Has real meaning for me. And uh, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Our souls are so troubled, our feelings are hurt, and we want things to be better. Many marriages are dissolved because they have no have not found the help Jesus has to offer. They have not gone to Jesus for help. They're fed up with things and walk away. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that Jesus came into my life to help me to a better way to solve problems. Most people are not getting help to solve problems. You just add more to the problems. Just add more to it. <clears throat> now we'll go to First uh, John. I I we I read that as a scripture God gave me this week, and uh, I thought it is so. It's covering so much. I'm just going to read the chapter and then we'll see what all it contains, you know, and why we can benefit so much when, like it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the needy ones, the ones who hate their life in this world. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know when we sin, it brings hopelessness in our heart. I didn't want to do that. I did not want to sin. That makes the news so good. We have an advocate. That makes it so wonderful. And you know, people that consider that wonderful are not people who want to go back and sin. No, they want help to overcome sin. <clears throat> and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The question can pop in our mind then, 
Well, okay, I've tried to keep his commandments, but I haven't managed to do it perfectly. Well, the beginning, uh, the first verse answers to that need. <laughs> Doesn't it? The first verse answers to that need. In other words, I think, I, I take it like this, that uh, it is my honest and sincere intention to keep his commandments. And I'm learning how to do that. And I'm getting help from Jesus. Uh, it's not like cut off now because I failed. That's not Jesus. That was the way it was under the law. The law dealt with that in a different way. But Jesus is merciful and forgiving and wants to help. But whoso keepeth his word, let me see, okay, verse 4, he that says, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that said he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you which things is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Praise God for that. The darkness seemed to uh, be over the earth all these many years. There was a measure of truth people could understand, but now the true light shineth and it brings light and revelation to us. Like Peter says, a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the day star rises in our hearts. So as we walk with God, it becomes brighter and brighter, clearer and clearer. We understand more and more. And uh, I praise God for that. He that says he is in the light and hateth his brother. Here's, here's the thing now. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, 
and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I remember one time some years ago, I shared this, and I said, I just made comment about this. It doesn't say if you love the world a little bit, there's a little bit less of the love of the Father in you. It says, he that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's black and white. It's not. We can't have both. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they were, went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So, it's a pretty clear word for us to think on and live by 
and we don't have to be confused. We don't have to be in question as to where we are if we let this teach us. If we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. That should, that should shake us up if we have love of the world in our heart. May God bless us with grace and faithfulness to Him. This morning I'm going to start <clears throat> by looking in Philippians chapter 4. This is a passage we refer to often, and today I'm going to re I want to want to connect this to excuse me to a story from the book of Numbers. Uh, this and another short passage. So Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness or your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is near at hand. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, of a good report, anything virtuous and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I think a common experience for us as Christians is to pray the prayer of faith. Hopefully it's a prayer of faith. But then when we get up off our knees over the course of time, faith is gone then. The faith that we pray that prayer with is gone. You say, well, what happened? Well, you see a progression here of praying the prayer of faith with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God, it says, well, guard your hearts and minds. But then it says, whatever things are true, and it begins to tell you where your mind should be, what to meditate on, what we should be thinking about. And then finally, he says, the things which you saw, received, heard, saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So it's the prayer of faith. It's how we think. And then finally, what we do. We can't walk by faith if we're not praying by faith. We can't walk by faith if we're not thinking in faith. In the book of Proverbs it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If we're pray the prayer of faith and then we get up off our knees and we start getting bombarded with all this negativity and we begin to feed into it, that peace is going to vanish. 
that faith is going to crumble. We can't listen to those voices of the flesh, of our world and society around us, and of course, our, the enemy of our soul, the devil. If we listen to those, faith, those, those voices, which are all out to crush our faith, that's exactly what will happen. Our faith will be damaged or destroyed. And so, it tells us to think on the things that are true. The things that are true are the things in the Word of God. The things that God has said. And He said that if we would believe on Him, that He would help us. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's very plain. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. God actually wants us to be full of joy through the answering of our prayers. He wants to help us. He has a great desire to help us. That's why. That's what this invitation is all about. <clears throat> but then we have to continue from there and think the things that are true. Because a lot of unfaithful thoughts are going to enter our mind. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> the carnal mind, is, the Bible says, is an enmity against God. Our natural mind, our natural reasoning, versus faith in God. Versus what God says. What our natural reasoning tells us and what God says. It says they're at enmity with each other. <coughs> Whatever things are just and noble and pure, whatever things are beautiful or lovely, and whatever things are of a good report. And that's the one today that I want to focus on. The good report. This word, the good report, and the bad report are mentioned in the book of Numbers. In a few minutes, we're going to go there. But what it means to think on the good report a good report means that you look at a situation and you have the eyes of faith on that. You're looking at that through faith. And you are standing on that through faith. And he says, think on that. That good report that God is going to help me. That's a good report. I know i got this problem here, but God is going to help me. That's a good report. A words of faith. Based on what you're thinking on. And actions, our actions again our response of what we're thinking in our heart and we're thinking in our minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a couple verses in there. Second Corinthians ten three. Excuse me. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imagination, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. And verse 7 says, Are you looking at things according to the outward appearance? And so this is the challenge. The way things look, and what God says about the way things look. Where our minds should be concerning the way things look. I don't know about you, but in recent months and years, I've had some real challenges of faith. My wife and I have had some real challenges of faith in our faith concerning some things that are going on amongst loved ones, concerning several different things that that have been challenges to us. And I know that many of you are going through similar things. And the Apostle Paul here talks about a war. And of course he's talking about a war against spirits. In Ephesians 6 he says, We do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so he talks about this warfare also here. But he gets right to the heart of the matter. When he says this, God has given us weapons to pull down strongholds. And he begins to point the direction of where those strongholds, where those enemy strongholds are in our life. He says, casting down imagination. And everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that's evil, everything that's wrong, everything that is not true, everything that is against God's Word about the way we should live, the way we should think, the way we should act. He says everything we can imagine, all the negative things we can imagine about our situations and our problems in life. And he says cast them down by the power of God, by the weapons He's given us. And he says, not only to cast them down, but he says, bring our thoughts where they belong. To obeying Christ. To the Word of God. To obeying Christ in the way we think about our problems. About our situations, about our temptations. we got to get our mind in the right place. The things that are true, the things that are of a good report, According to the Word of God, as we get to know the Word of God, as we get to know God of the Word, we understand and know where our minds should be. And we have given, God has given us power and authority over the devil. Behold, I give you power over snakes and scorpions, and over all the power of the evil one. I beheld Satan falling like lightning to the earth. He's given us power and authority over the enemy, in our lives, in our minds. And we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of self-control. 
a sound mind. There's that sound mind. A mind that is in line with the Word of God. God has given it to us. It also says that we have the mind of Christ. We've got to use it. We've got to use what He's given us. We've got to bring our minds there. Take authority over our minds. We hear preachers talking about, you know, on TV and on radio and stuff like that, and books, talking about the power of God to do all these miracles, things like that. Well, let's start with the basic miracles of taking control of our bodies and taking control of our minds and have our heart in the right place. Let's start there. Lest we live a life of a hypocrite. And so now we go to Numbers chapter 11. We usually ring on this story about once a year because the story has a powerful message if you connect it with what we've already read from, uh, from the New Testament what Paul has preached on. Beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader from among them. If you read in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses recounts this whole story, he says the reason why God did this is because God told them to go into the land. And they said, hold on a minute first. Why don't we send spies in <clears throat> to check out the land? We want to know what we're getting into first. So this is what God did here. This is where we pick it up. Here God said, all right, well take one of each of the, one guy from each of your tribes and send him into the land and spy it out. He did it as a concession to the children of Israel. <clears throat> so he did that. So Moses does that. Verse 3, So Moses sent them out from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of them were heads of the children of Israel. So these are leaders among the tribes of the, of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. This is after they've come out of Egypt. And the, all the miracles God showed them in Egypt. And they got out into the wilderness and the golden calf and the water coming out of the rock and manna coming down and meat and all that other stuff. Quails. Actually, the quails were not next, actually. <laughs> but uh, here is what happens next. And we see as we move on to verse 23. So they went out and explored the land and brought back their report. Verse 23, They came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch which one cluster of grapes and carried it between two of them on a pole. And you ask yourself, how big does this cluster of grapes have to be that two grown men have to carry it on a pole? And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. And the, the place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. It's pretty impressive that they named the land after that cluster of grapes. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now, the question we will ask first is, we got 12 men, and as they're looking at all this, what's going on in their minds? We're going to find out because it's going to come out of their mouths. 
Verse 26, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. God told him that. God told him he's going to give him this land. That's how why he took him out of Egypt, to give him this land. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, the cities are fortified, and very large. Wherever we saw the descendants of Anak there, those are giants. And the Amalekites live in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites live in the mountains, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that eats its inhabitants. And all the men whom we saw there are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch and the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So as we come back, as they come back, ten men give a very negative report about the problem about the situation, about what they were facing. And he said, those guys are stronger than us. We can't do it. What's missing in their thinking? It's very clear. The power of God. They have no faith in the power of God. Even though God had been demonstrating it in Egypt and in the promise and in the wilderness, and he's pulling down bread from heaven, and there's a fi- the column of fire that goes before them in the day, and the cloud of, I mean the pillar of cloud in the during the day, and the pillar of fire at night. His presence is clear and, and visible. So seeing is not believing, right? How can people, ten people look at it one way and two people look at it so differently to other people? Because ten looked at it in such a negative way. God's promises are not negative to those who put their trust in Him. There are negative promises to those who have no faith, sure. But to us who believe and put our trust in Him concerning our life, we have promises that are positive and give us hope. God doesn't lie. When he says, and he gives a promise, when he says something in his word, we can use that as a foundation for our life. We can build our life upon it. And we see here something that we can see in our life. We can see in our life the ten men and the two. That struggle between the ten men and two going on inside of us. Looking at things in a very negative light. 
looking at it hopeless, giving up, you know, and everything they did after this that we'll read. We can see, we can hear that voice. We can hear those negative things. We can hear those destructive voices. And you see that ten of the twelve, as they were spying out the land, they were seduced by that evil voice. Those evil voices of the flesh, their human reasoning, and the devil. And they listened to it. And, and what did they come back with? An evil report. It wasn't a good report. And you gotta, we got to ask ourselves a question. Are we meditating on evil reports in our own life? Are we looking at situations in our life? Things like marriage, children, family, situations, circumstances, jobs. I mean, you can just go on and just all the way down the line. Life. The things of life. Are we looking at them and we have a good report towards some and an evil report towards others? We're not having any faith about those things. People God brings into our life that are unbelievers. And we share the word with them. But there's no response. There's no evidence of anything anything good. And we just write them off. Ah, oh, they're just not one of the ones. It's a lot of baloney. That's not a good report. That's why we pray that the word that's planted will find... That, that God will that it will grow and that, and people will believe. Not everybody who hears the word right away believes right away. One man plants a seed, another one waters it. And in God's time, God will make it grow when the conditions are right. We can have such a negative mindset that can paralyze us and to be powerless and to be numb. It's not the message of the Gospel. It's not what God's saying. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible brings forth a positive message. And Joshua and Caleb got it. And they saw it. They saw what God did. They had faith in their hearts. And they meditated on that. And you listen to what Caleb said. First, listen to what Caleb says. Let us go up at once and take possession of for we are able to overcome it. Based on what? What is Caleb basing his positive his positive outlook on? It's basing on what God said and what God has done to that point. Based on God's word. The others didn't base it on God's word. They based it on what they saw and what they heard. They based it on their senses. Natural reasoning versus the Word of God. The ten bought into the natural reasoning. The two, God's Word. They stood on God's Word. And that's where our minds have to stay. Not just be back and forth and up and down like a roller coaster. But that's where we have to discipline our minds to stay. And it is a fight. The Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. We have to lay hold on the promises of God. It's an act of aggression to take control of our minds and to bring every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to be aggressive about it. We have to be assertive and take hold of these things. 
And our, we have to take hold of our mind. Or as Peter said, sober up the loins of our mind. So 12 people, 10 bring back an evil report, 2 bring back a good report. What response does it have from the children of Israel? Chapter 14 and verse 1. And so all the congregation lifted up their voices and wept all night that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, and that our wives and children should become victims? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Such madness. Such craziness. The great victories God had given them. Now they're going to undo it all and go back into slavery? This is the blindness that happens when we harden our hearts. When we meditate on an evil report. When we listen to the wrong voice. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. We've got to listen to His voice. His voice is telling us, Trust Him. Come to Him, trust Him. Put your life, everything, put your trust and all that in me. And it will give us peace, as we read in Philippians. The peace that passes all understanding. The rest that we need every day. And if we're not finding that rest, that's why. But we can find it by coming back to the Lord in these areas. By putting our faith in His Word and the things that He's promised us as His children. So they want to select a leader and go back to slavery in Egypt. You think how such madness, such foolishness. But they believe the evil report. They heard, they heard the voice of the ten that were speaking the natural reasoning and they believe that over the voice of God. We, can do, we do the same thing. We stumble and fall because of the same thing. That's, that's our human nature that we listen to. That's the enemy that we listen to. That's our human reasoning. That's an enmity with God. And it caused them to stumble by listening to the ten. Just like we will stumble if we listen to the voice of our natural reasoning. We listen to the enemy. And they, they just throw, and because of that, they just throw God's plan aside like an old shoe. Like that. Bam. We're going to do it our way now. We, we were willing to do this for a while. Now we're doing it our way. Verse 5 And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor feel the fear of the people of the land. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed for them, 
And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, they're speaking the words of a good report that they were believing in their hearts. They were meditating on that. And they were listening to the eyes and they, they tore their clothes. This is nonsense. You know, God has promised us this land and He's brought us here to give us this land. Their protection and all their weapons and all their trained armies, it's all gone from them. God is going to give it to us because their faith was not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It says, only do not rebel against the Lord. <coughs> we read last week, it's impossible to believe God except by faith. And if we're not walking by faith, it doesn't please God. And Joshua and Caleb said, don't rebel against the Lord. Even though this all looks scary, you've got to step forward. You've got to go forward. Even though... It may like sh look shaky and everything. You've got to walk by faith and go forward and not rebel against God. And the response of the congregation? Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? You see, when we don't believe God's Word, God considers it rejection. This is not optional to be super spiritual. This is the call of the Christian to believe God's Word. Not just concerning salvation, but concerning everything we've mentioned, the problems in our life. We can say, oh, don't look at good today. Don't look at the next day. Don't look at the next day. And God fully expects us to continue to trust Him no matter how long it takes and no matter what things look like. And He, he puts that expectation upon His children to believe what He says. No matter what it looks like and what it sounds like, and no matter what happened to anybody else, in anybody else's situation. This is a personal thing, a personal relationship concerning where our mind is and where our heart is. What we're thinking from day to day about life and all of its challenges. God says they rejected him because they would not believe him concerning the challenges in front of him. Think about that and everything we read from the, the Apostle Paul this morning. Whatever things are a good report, think on these things. So Moses intercedes and the Lord forgives. Verse 21, But truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory, and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and put me to the test these ten times that have not heeded my voice. They have not listened to my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, who shall not, who sh nor shall any of them 
Those who rejected me see it. You see, God looks at that as personal rejection. You're not just rejecting His Word, you're rejecting Him. That's what we're doing. When we, when we, when we are in unbelief concerning His Word, when we stray from faith, he, God calls that rejecting Him. <clears throat> but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I'll bring him into the land where he went, and the descendants shall inherit him. So all the place they spied out, that whole area, that was given to Caleb. That's his inheritance for him and future generations. And also Joshua was the other man. Out of 600,000 men who were promised the land of Canaan, men, adult men, 600,000, only two went in. Of that whole generation. The rest, they had to wait 40 years in the wilderness for that generation to pass away because they wouldn't believe God and they rejected His Word. Verse 29, The carcasses of you who have complained against Me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Why? Because they rejected Him. It was based on them following Him and believing Him. And when they rejected Him, He rejected them to enter the land. Verse 31, But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. God went back to their words and said, you know, your children. He says, back in verse 3, Why has the Lord brought us to the fall by the sword and that our wives and our children would become victims? What did they think? Who did they think God was? And that's what it really boils down to. Is God a God of love and mercy and goodwill? We're not. They apparently didn't think so. God brought us out here to destroy us. Why has God done this to us? He brought us out here to drop us on our heads. You know what? It's a dangerous mindset. And the New Testament warns us against it. The evil report. Jesus confronted in His own day. And He was astonished at their unbelief. Why is it you have no faith? Where is your faith? He said it to his own disciples. And finally, in verse 36, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him, by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land, died by the plague before the Lord. Some might think, well, that's awful harsh. But because they refused to believe God, 
they created a stumbling block for all their peers. We can cause others to stumble. Or we can cause others to be uplifted like Joshua and Caleb were trying to do. And so we have to embrace what we're hearing here today from the Word of God. Because there's a message to each of us as Christians. In the New Testament, it points to what it says in Psalms, Harden not your hearts, as the Israelites did, on the day where they provoked me in the wilderness. The message is to us as Christians, not to harden our hearts. Where is our mind? Is it a positive place? Are we standing on the promises of God our King? Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Is that where our mind is at? Are we really believing God for the things that we're challenged with? No matter how big they are. No matter how big the giants are. Because when Joshua brought the next generation in, they slayed the giants. They killed the giants in the land. And it wasn't too hard for that generation. Because God was with them. And that whole generation says, serve the Lord. They learned the lesson of the danger of unbelief because they saw it in their parents and their generation above them and their aunts and their uncles and their grandparents or whoever. They saw that whole generation perish for 40 years. They watched them and buried them for 40 years. They learned the lesson of the evil report. The lesson of unbelief. Dare not go there. God brought judgment against those men who brought that evil report. Because God takes it seriously, His Word, and He expects us to take what He says as seriously as He does. And so when He says, Behold, I will help you, we must believe it. We must believe it for our problems, for our circumstances, for everything that wants to make us anxious, to make us fearful, to make us troubled, to make us discouraged, that makes us depressed. He fully puts an expectation upon us to bring all those thoughts prisoner to the obedience of Christ, to the Word of God. Ran a little late today. Any of you brothers